Friends, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 today. As you heard, we're doing a five-week series on money matters, talking about finances and money. And if I were new here to this church and hadn't been before and I was visiting and I heard five-week series on money and they printed the take-home journals and the notes, I would think that church is hard up for money. I, I, I would think they're in a serious spot and they need to preach their way out of uh, financial, fiscal trouble. And I'm telling you, that could not be further from the truth. God has used this body to give bountifully, generously, above our budget year to date. Nobody is preaching a sermon series because we need to get more money in the coffers. We're doing this because this is close to the heart of God to have all of us, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and the Bible talks about money more than most topics, including faith or prayer, or lust, or adultery. And so if we didn't talk about this, we would not be giving the full counsel of God to our people. That's why we're here. That's why we're talking about it. We talked about the dangers of money. We talked about the blessings of money. Now here is the heart of money, the heart behind giving money in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm starting in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may we see that beautiful, shining, perfect righteousness, the righteousness of your Son given to us in Christ, the righteousness that will shine forth to a watching world, the righteousness that will change our hearts to not only do what you call us to do, but to want to do what you call us to do. We ask for it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we're talking about money, that means that we are doing open heart surgery today. The Bible will be to us a sword and a scalpel. It will come into our hearts, come into our minds, come into our practices with money, and it will divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. We've talked about the blessings. We've talked about the dangers. We're going to talk about the act of giving, what it looks like to, to prepare and to plan and to give. But today we're talking about the heart of giving, which means we're delving into a place where our idolatry has a stronghold and it will be very hard to release our grasp on what we love so dearly, our money and our love of our money. 2 Corinthians 9 is going to show us how we give to God and how God first gave to us. How we give to God and how God first gave to us. So how we give to God, verses six and seven. If these verses are open heart surgery, what God is doing is he's taking away what is scarred and dead and wrong and, and pulling that away from us before he can plant in us what is good and right and true and beautiful. He's going to tell us how not to give first so that he can tell us as believers how we ought to give in Christ. So here's what not to do. He says, do not give, do not do this reluctantly or under compulsion. 
Now, if you tell a child in your house, go set the dinner table, and that child groans and says, ah, fine, I'll do it in a minute. Does that count as obedience in your house? I hope it doesn't, because it doesn't in God's house. He's not just concerned that the table gets set. He wants our hearts engaged in the entire process of setting the table. And so he peers into the heart and says, I'm not just talking about whatever gift lands. I'm talking about what happens in the heart before it comes. And there should not be in the spirit reluctance or compulsion. Reluctance, you could translate that sad or sorrowful giving. Giving and being sad about it. Which immediately makes me think of the sermon last week from Luke 18 when Jesus challenged the rich young ruler, give away all that you have, sell it to the poor, and come and follow me. And he went away sad. He was reluctant to give up his wealth. Now anytime God calls us to do something, commands us to do the thing, and it makes us sad or angry, we ought to pay attention. Something's happening in my heart. If God is telling me what to do and God is for me and God is for his glory and for his kingdom and he only tells me what is good and right and true and beautiful and he calls me to do something and that makes me sad or angry or upset or mistrustful, that's a moment to pause as a believer and say, what's happening in my heart? What's going on that I mistrust God in this moment? God says, don't do this. Don't give reluctantly. And he says, don't give under compulsion, feeling forced or obligated to give. Now that's a huge word because that can change the entire dynamic of a sermon series on money. If compulsion was fair game, then I could get up here and I could guilt trip, browbeat, shame you, bully you, squeeze you, make you feel bad about it so that you'll pull out your pocketbook and give what you don't want to give. If compulsion is fair game, then, then bring the guilt, bring the shame, and, and we'll get the money that we need and we'll be done about it. But God says, don't do that. Don't, don't give under that compulsion. And I think so many of us have seen that in the church, and maybe we've seen that under a pastor before, that it's hard for us to even hear a pastor talk about giving money and giving generously because we've seen it done in ways that guilt and browbeat and squeeze the congregation, and we want nothing to do with that, and God says he wants nothing to do with that. You know when you're asking a friend for a favor, and it's the kind of friend that lets you know how much that favor will cost them? We all have a friend like that, right? You ask them for help and and they're gonna do it, but they're gonna let you know, well, this is how much it cost me and I'm exhausted afterwards and I just barely squeezed you in. And and you hate asking that person for a favor because it's miserable. It makes you feel dirty to ask them. It makes you feel dirty to get the favor. makes you feel dirty to be done with it. You can't wait, wait to get out of there. And God is essentially saying in 2 Corinthians 9, I feel the same way. I hate that too. God is not so desperate for money. He's not so desperate for lip service or any act of obedience. He's not the first guy to the back of the sanctuary to check our little giving wooden box or to look at our Breeze online platform to see, did we get enough money today to make ends meet? He's not so geared towards the amount that's coming in that he'll take it any way he can get it. He's saying that's too small. 
That's too small. I want a heart that is happy to give what it gives. And when a saint comes and mumbles and complains and drags feet to do what God calls them to do, it's not pleasant for God. He takes no joy in it. Paul writes in the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, if I give away all that I have and have not love, I'm nothing. Do you believe that? Like I could go home and I could pull all my money from my bank account, liquidate my stocks, put my car on Craigslist, list my house, take all that money and put it in one fat check, bring it to the church, shove it in the wooden box and huff out of here. And God says, I took no pleasure in that. That was not an enjoyable experience. It makes me sad. Isn't that possible? God is after happy loving hearts in our giving. So he says, get out of your mind that you can just do a cold act without the heart behind it. Don't give that way. But instead, he gives us three different words. Give decidedly, bountifully, and cheerfully. Decidedly, bountifully, and cheerfully. Now, that first word is interesting. Decidedly, I see it in verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And I take decided to mean thoughtful, prepared, planned. We didn't read it, but the whole first paragraph is Paul telling the church in Corinth, hey, I'm coming to you because we're going to give a big gift to the church in need in Jerusalem, and, and I want you to be prepared for when I come. And he uses the word ready five times in that paragraph. Get ready, be ready, don't be caught unready. Look at verse 5. Arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that you may be ready as a willing gift. So we're not just talking about hearts, but we're talking about heads getting involved in our giving too. We're not just talking about emotions. We're talking about calculators and spreadsheets when it comes to our generosity and giving. Let me ask you a trick question. Does God want 1% of my income given with a happy heart? Or does he want 25% of my income given with a sad heart? What would you say? I think neither. I think he's not interested in either because he wants happy, ready, prepared, planned, giving. I hear all the time from young professionals, newly married, that it's hard to budget. It's hard to make a budget. It's hard to keep a budget. Maybe we've never seen that done, never had anybody help us do that, and so it's just hard to think about money in that way. But church, we will never give decidedly without planning. We already know this intuitively. We do this all the time with buying what we want. If there's something I want to buy, I'm going to make a plan. Either I have that money in my bank account, or if I don't, I know i got to save it. I know i got to save a few months to, to bring it all together and have it in one place so that I'm ready, so that when I walk into the store, I can buy the thing. I know, I know what it's like to make a plan. I know what ready spending looks like. Generosity works in the same way. If I have no plan, if I have no budget, if I spend the month spending on exactly what I want, and then I walk into a worship service 
and the music starts playing and it's time for the offertory and the QR code comes up and I hadn't thought about it yet. It's like, oh shoot, like what do I have on hand? What can I give? Surely I have some cash on me. That's not ready giving, that's reactive giving. That's not making a plan, that's scrambling at the last minute to give something. Now I promise you church, I say this before the Lord and I say this before you as the church body, I have never once in my life done reactionary giving at REI. Never. I've never done that. Like somebody put an REI a block from the church. I think the devil did that. And, and if I'm stuck on my sermon, I can just walk out and hang a right and, and browse the aisles and, and I can get my next Viore running shorts purchase and bring it to the counter and they say that's going to be $400. And, and I've never in my life been like, oh shoot, like I hadn't thought about that part. Like here's a couple of dollars. I've never done that in my life. But I have done that with the Lord. I've done that here in the church. I've done that with a missionary that I felt compelled to give to. I've done that in a situation where I've seen a member in need. I didn't have a plan. I wasn't ready. And I reacted with a very, very small gift. 2 Corinthians 9 says, don't do that. Give with intents, give with a budget, give with a plan, give decidedly. So the first word is decided. The second word is bountiful. Now I'm really saving this for next week because this week is the heart of giving. Next week is the act of giving. So when we get to next week, I think, I haven't written a sermon yet, but we're going to talk numbers and percentages, pre-tax, post-tax, church, parachurch, all the details of giving. Tell your friends and family it's going to be a great sermon uh, next week, so come to that. But you and I can fuss about the details of giving. We might agree or disagree that the Old Testament tithe is relevant for the New Testament believer. But however it shakes out for you and I, Scripture gives us a shared word to place on our giving. Bountiful. Whatever my conviction of, of how I calculate what I give is it bountiful, verse six. So you may be a post-tax, full-tithe church giver or a pre-tax growing percentage church and parachurch giver. You may give just off of your salary or you may tithe off of your salary, your interest, your dividends, and your birthday checks. But however you calculate it, is this word a banner on your giving to the Lord bountiful. Is it bountiful? Is it lavish? Is it generous? Would you say so before the Lord? Would your spouse say so before the Lord? Would your accountability partner that you shared your budget with say so before the Lord? Is it bountiful? So we give decidedly, we give bountifully, and number three, we give cheerfully. Verse seven, God loves a cheerful giver. And I have to laugh because God wants to mortify, kill and destroy one of the things nearest and dearest to my heart, my love of money, and he wants me to be happy about it. And I want to negotiate and say, well, pick one. 
Do you want a generous giver or do you want a cheerful giver? But I can't do both. I can either give away what I love most, my own money, or I can be happy about what I'm not giving away, but it feels too hard to bring the two together. And yet God says about generosity what he says about every form of obedience. I want it all. I want the act and I want the desire to do the act. And when he commands that, we actually understand that there's a buried promise here. Maybe we didn't know this was possible, but I can't settle with being a grumpy giver if God says in the spirit, he can bring about cheerful givers, right? I've been a grumpy giver in the past. I'll probably fall into grumpy giving in the future, but, but that's not where I live. That's not my environment. That's not my habitat in Christ because he's saying something else is possible in the spirit to give my money sacrificially and to be happy about it in Christ. What is impossible with man is supernaturally possible with God that God can give us the act of generosity and by his spirit, he can give us the desire to want to do what he calls. And imagine out of the ashes of this greed and lust for more for myself, what he will rise in that new man in Christ, someone who freely gives and someone who's happy to do it all the more. God can do that. You get a church that is sacrificial in their giving and is happy about it, and I will show you a church where the Spirit dwells in power. God, give us examples of happy, sacrificial givers. Now, before I leave this section on how we give, I want to ask a question. Maybe it's come up in your mind, even as you hear the passage. If God loves a cheerful giver, if he doesn't want reluctant giving, then should I wait till I have the right motive before I give? If God says I don't want reluctant giving and I'm about to give, but I'm going to do it reluctantly, should I not give at all? And the answer is, don't be ridiculous. We wouldn't do that about anything, right? God loves truth. And I wouldn't say, well, I was about to tell the truth, but I was going to do it reluctantly, so I'm not going to do it. No, we would never say that. Why double the sin? Why come and be reluctant and not give the gift? And then I have to go home and confess two things. One, that I was greedy. And two, that I didn't go through with the gift. And now I've got to confess my greed and gather my gift and bring it back and give it joyfully and generously. Why double the sin? Anytime a believer is faced with an act that doesn't have the heart behind it, that's a moment to fall on our face and say, Lord, I can't do this. Maybe I can grit out obedience today, but I don't want to do it. I can't do it from a whole heart. I need your spirit. I need your help to make me want to do this, to make me cheerful in my obedience. Anytime we struggle with that is an invitation to run to the Lord, to get from him the very motivation to do what he calls us to do. That's how we give. That's what our giving looks like because verses eight and nine, it's how God gives to us. The most decided, bountiful, cheerful, spirit-filled givers among us are those who understand that God gives first and God gives best. The whole of our 
worshiping and serving and giving lives in this life and in the life to come will only ever always be in response to what God has first given to us in the first place. Look at the heart of God's giving in verses 8 and 9. And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And you could march straight through the chapter of 2 Corinthians 9 and see more. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Verse 14, the surpassing grace of God upon you. Verse 15, thanks to be to God for his inexpressible gift. He just gives and he gives and he gives. Church, we don't give reluctantly or under compulsion because God has never once in his eternal, perfect, majestic life ever ever given to us reluctantly or under compulsion. God has been giving himself away for millennia and not once has a gift left his hand that he begrudges and regrets. He's a cheerful giver. He's a decided giver. He's a bountiful giver. God gives decidedly. He's not a reactionary giver. When we fell and rebelled against him, he didn't say, oh shoot, what do I have to respond to this rebellion? No, he had had a plan from before the foundations of the world to roll into being his plan of redemption for us to lavishly provide for us in our salvation. And when he did, he did so bountifully. That famous passage, Malachi 3.10, God says he will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you all blessing until there is no need Did you see all the alls in our passage? All grace, all sufficiency, all things at all times. Once God has given his only begotten son, he spares no expense in the universe. And not only does he give decidedly, and not only does he give bountifully, but God gives to his people cheerfully. He loves to give. He takes pleasure in his people. He takes pleasure in the gifts he gives his people. He takes pleasure when his people takes pleasure in the pleasurable gifts that he's given his people. We might be grumpy givers, but God cannot possibly be. He just gives and gives and gives and gives. And if we can see that for what it is by the power of the Spirit, we have this beautiful change in the Christian life from duty to delight. From just the act of obeying to wanting to obey to serve God. The switch from duty to delight is just marvelously illustrated by John Piper. He gives this famous illustration where he says, imagine this, a husband comes home to his wife and he rings his own doorbell and he's waiting on the front steps and she opens the door and there he is with a dozen long-stemmed roses and he presents them with a flourish to her and she's taken aback and says, babe, what's all this? And, And the husband says, well, it's my duty. I'm supposed to do stuff like this. This is what I signed up for and here you go. I hope she slams the door in his face. That's what duty feels like. 
but rewinds. Husband shows up, rings the door, wife opens the door, roses are presented with a flourish, babe, what's all this? And he says instead, well, this is my delight. I love you and I love to give good gifts to you just for the heck of it. Who doesn't want that marriage? Who doesn't want that walk with God to be free of mere duty, free of mere compulsion, free of mere reluctance, and instead, because of that lavish gift to us, we turn around and with delight give decidedly, bountifully, freely, joyfully, cheerfully to the Lord. And he can do that in us by his power. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, free us from small acts of rote obedience done with duty and done without pleasure and done to be seen by others and instead by the power of your Holy Spirit would you blow fresh wind in our church that we obey you from the hearts We obey you with our emotions intact. We obey you cheerfully and lavishly and bountifully. When you call us to do something, we are eager to do it in Christ's name and by Christ's power. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.